Welcome to the Climate Pelicans Brief, a podcast bridging the gap between climate science and Louisiana frontline communities. I'm Corinne Salter. And I'm Jill Tapitza. Join us as we disentangle environmental justice issues facing Louisiana using peer-reviewed science as well as the voices and lived experiences of community leaders. Our goals are to uplift activist platforms and raise awareness about the many environmental puzzles in Louisiana. While contextualizing everything through the lens of climate crisis mitigation. Welcome to another episode of the Climate Pelicans Brief. Today we're really jazzed to tackle a thorny climate issue, one that elicits opposing opinions from different expert groups. Academics and community leaders in particular often take different stances on this proposed climate solution, and that's carbon capture. This is an issue that we're going to cover over the course of two episodes because it's one of those nuanced things that requires more than a one-word answer. We love our nuanced things here. Love it. Can't wait to get into it. (laughs) So over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to frame the issue and give you some cold hard facts to chew on. All right. So let's dive in. So because we're academics here and we love to teach, we're going to tell you what you can expect to learn over the next 30 minutes, whether you're cleaning your home, on your daily commute or listening with friends. So first, we're going to frame carbon capture in terms of the overall global issue. We'll address why there is a potential need to be removing excess carbon from the atmosphere. So like, why are we even doing this in the first place? Why are we even talking about it? Mm -hmm. Um, On top of slowing and stopping CO2 emissions through fossil fuel reductions. So next, we're going to go over some terms. So what is CCNS? Storage, sequestration. We're going to get our lingo straight so that we can separate things like ecosystem-based carbon capture and carbon capture technologies. We'll get into what technology currently exists, what on earth is enhanced oil recovery, and why is that getting looped in with something that's supposed to undercut oil production. You'll walk away with some literacy on what's what and not fall prey to some of the creepy corporate propaganda that's out there and that is coming for you ultimately yeah it's it's out there and it's everywhere (laughs) and it's like it's very confusing so our goal is to set the record straight and get all of our um you be be able to use all the same words to, to talk about this issue so lastly so after that we're going to frame the push for carbon capture we're going to cover some of the provisions under the 45q tax credit and why certain companies are so keen on pushing this idea forward despite some pushback so let's get into it Okay, so first of all, I kind of want to know why carbon capture is even a thing. Uh, Why would we need it? Well, the short answer is that you'll probably arrive at by the end of this podcast (laughs) is that we do not need it. But for the sake of argument, let's give it a fair shot. Yeah. Let's say we have a huge global climate crisis on our hands, which we do. Um, We need an immediate and drastic reduction in atmospheric CO2 to avoid the detrimental impacts of warming over 1.5 degrees Celsius. And this should be apparent from our first episode, what, what's the deal with 1.5? So if right. you haven't listened to that episode and you're wondering what that means, go ahead and go back and listen to that yes. um, so that you can get the most out of this. So getting carbon out of the atmosphere seems like it would be on the list of things that we should do. So we're having this issue. We have extra carbon in the atmosphere. We have way too much. We need to reduce um, atmospheric CO2. So I guess that's that's where the potential need comes from, which is yeah. taking it out. 
Yeah. So in terms of carbon capture, you're saying that it's important to drastically reduce um, CO2 emissions. So why should we not consider carbon capture a front runner for how to go about this? So, you know, CCNS, carbon capture and storage or carbon capture and sequestration, um, it sounds like that would be a viable solution. But why is it not? So... To address this, let's consult our international experts, the IPCC, um, that's the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change. Mm -hmm. They advise against a, quote, heavy reliance on technologies that capture carbon in their most recent report in 2023. Mm -hmm. There are a few pretty convincing reasons for this, which are incorporated into their large-scale models that tell us how to avoid 1.5 degrees. And the models that successfully avoid 1.5C also avoid an over-reliance on carbon capture. So that's basically our experts. Carbon capture shouldn't be used because our experts say that's not a good idea. Right. And they, they have these heavy models that have more going into it than you or I could even think about. They yeah. have huge bodies of um, research supporting this and they're, they're telling us no. Right. And I feel like, especially like, you know, from what we've learned from the 1.5 degrees episode, I feel like we should realize that the IPCC is probably somebody that we should trust over, you know, corporate interests, industry interests. Absolutely. <laughs> I would trust the IPCC yeah. with my life. So there's a lot of like crazy places you can get your climate advice if you're not paying attention and yeah. fall prey to some weird stuff. But the IPCC is for the people, by the people, right. like we love them. Yeah. Can't, like, can't plug it enough. Literally all they focus on is climate change. So I think I would trust them on climate change issues. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, so they have they have their reasons. Okay, so yeah, uh, so let me guess what some of those reasons are. This should be fun. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say number one would probably be um, uncertainty. Absolutely. Nailed it. Um, nothing <laughs> undercuts a model's target like adding uncertainty. Yeah. A carbon capture technology has a really long history of over-promising, under-delivering, and being a general money pit. Yeah. And that's where most of the uncertainty comes in. Um, so the IPCC also cites feasibility constraints, which can be boiled down to the fact that the technology does not yet exist. Mm. So we're the reason we're putting all this and all these uncertainty is going into this model and making it not sure like is it going to perform? Is it not going right. to perform? Like where are we going to be in terms of CO two? Is because we don't have the research to support. Mm. Um, what CCNS can actually be capable of right. because it hasn't been built yet. It's yeah. like a time machine or like a teleportation device kind yeah. of. So essentially like the proof and evidence that we need to prove that this would actually be a viable climate solution. It literally doesn't exist. Exactly. If we don't have the evidence, we can't incorporate it into the models with any type of certainty. Right. So that's where that comes in. Yeah, that sounds really, I don't know, dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so the technology is still in development. Um, and so that should lead you to your second guess. Yeah, so um, my second guess with, you know, with the fact that I just mentioned that it sounded dangerous, um, I feel like it probably has some real consequences for human rights and ecosystems. That would come to your mind yeah. um, since that's totally your area. And that's exactly correct. Um, for something that does not yet really exist, the technology or the remnants of what has been tried in terms of this technology has left a trail of cautionary tales and horror stories behind it. Yeah. 
If carbon capture is such a bad idea that isn't advised by our global experts that know the most about climate change and how to avoid it, why is there currently such a push for it? I think you can guess this one, too. Um, well, what motivates corporations more than anything? I'm guessing um, money and corporate power over the masses. Um, yeah, the usual suspects standing in the way of climate progress. Um, so more on that later. Um, that's just a general theme running through this whole podcast right. is how corporations are undercutting um, human rights, ecosystem uh, health, all that good stuff. So, like, okay, so that's now we've covered like why is there a push for technology mm-hmm. in this way? Um, so let's get into some terminology. Yeah. So the general idea of carbon capture is to remove excess carbon, presumably from the atmosphere, and push it back into the ground. Um, so what is currently meant by carbon capture is an array of technologies that are meant to trap, scrub, or capture emitted carbon dioxide from a point source. That's mm-hmm. like a power plant. That's something that you know where the CO2 is com- right. coming from, not like a car, um, you know, because that can be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and either store, take that carbon and either store it underground, utilize it in some way, or both. Um, and note that capturing carbon from ambient air is called direct air capture. So that's a real thing, but it's actually not common and hasn't provided any past returns. So we're not really talking about just like having something on your roof that, that takes the ambient air. Cause those that's, again, that's like the carbon in the air, the CO2 in the air is about 400 and I think 23 parts per million is mm. what we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's not a lot just yeah. in the ambient air. It's not worthwhile to have a technology like that. So that's, yeah. So the technology is actually fitted to individual industries or individual facilities? Yeah. So it's a customized thing at this point, And it is going to sit on individual like power plants, facilities that are emitting carbon dioxide in mm. large quantities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what does it look like? Um, I have no idea, <laughs> but um, if probably because it doesn't exist, right? Yeah. Um, but if you Google it, I'm sure there's just a bunch of pictures of monsters and things that hide under your bed waiting to eat your tax dollars. <laughs> yeah, you caught me. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what it looks like. All right. So it, we don't know what it looks like. I have so many follow up questions, but um, let's go to our next term. So to recap, CCNS stands for carbon capture and storage, capturing carbon from a point source and transporting it for underground storage. What about CCUS? That's something that I've heard before, too. Yeah, that's a term that gets thrown around a lot. And CCUS stands for carbon capture, utilization Mm. and storage. That's what we were talking about, where you either you capture the carbon, you either store it or you utilize it or both. Mm -hmm. Um, Most proposed future projects so all these proposed carbon capture projects that are popping all up all over the U.S. fall into this category of capturing carbon from a point source, like we just discussed, like a power plant, mm-hmm. and then utilizing it in some way. And the most common way that this is applied is called enhanced oil recovery, or EOR. Mm, I see. So the utilization part of CCUS is to enhance the recovery of more oil? Yes, and wow. that is the that is like the hidden gem yeah. that the oil companies are trying to hide is in yeah. the U is the U actually gets expanded to EOR. Mm. Um, so carbon is captured in the same way as previously discussed. 
Um, and then it is compressed and injected into oil wells. So existing pr- producing oil wells that they're getting oil out of to basically shoot out additional oil from that well. Wow. And yeah, so I've I've also heard that like uh, over 70% of CCUS projects are for enhanced oil extraction. So that's 70%. kind of <laughs> Yeah, I said more. Yeah. I had no idea. That's 70% yeah, is that's just wild. like basically propping up oil right production yeah and that's just you know what we know of like it could be because there isn't any research behind it there could be that could be a very great underestimation so yeah that's pretty pretty high as a starting point yeah though. that's pretty exactly. wild for something that's supposed to be a climate solution so that's i feel like that's one of those big um things that we're going to see crop up a lot is where these companies hide behind a green technology yeah or something that they deem a green technology right. but when you really dig into it it turns out to be something that undermines the entire movement right so this is an example of that i'm gonna flag it so greenwashing <laughs> greenwashing oh my gosh yes um so okay so getting back to enhanced oil recovery mm-hmm. when you're when you're taking that compressed co2 and you're injecting it into oil wells to shoot out additional oil kind of clean that well out make sure you're not losing any of your money i guess um this is often referred to as co2 eor um so another like little like c3po type (laughs) star warsy term to confuse the general public with the oil companies have a strong record of doing things like this um there's a conservative estimate of 284 billion barrels of oil still avail available that can be recovered through eor wow but should we no, I mean, that's literally like the whole idea of the climate change movement is keep it in the ground. So I don't know how this is green whatsoever or some sort of climate solution, given that it's literally completely against the exact pretty much universal phrase of the climate change movement. Right. This this conversation, like at this point, it should start being sounding ridiculous to you. If you're yeah. listening right now, it should be sounding like, okay. Yeah, you're starting to get it. Um. <laughs> very, yeah, very antithetical to the whole idea of the climate change movement. Um, so yeah, so they spend all this effort collecting CO2 from their own emissions, probably um, a slim percentage of their total emissions in the first place, and then they use it to pressure wash basically the last difficult bit of oil out of a well. Um, that certainty undercuts that certainly undercuts the bottom line of a drastic reduction in overall CO2 emissions. Yeah, absolutely. In this way, it's used as a life raft for companies mm. whose oil production is in decline mm. for whatever reason. Mm. For like they don't own enough leases or people are starting to banks are pulling out their loans on yeah. them. You know, there's a lot of social license that's been mm. revoked in the last however many years. Yeah. Um, so their their oil production is declining and they're basically grabbing on anything that they can to continue doing things business as usual. Right. Um, yeah. So the most of the funding, the public funding, most of the recipients for the public funding for these carbon capture and utilization projects are actually oil and gas companies. Wow. That should be a big tip off. That yeah. we're undercutting the climate movement here. If the recipients for uh, for these companies are energy companies that have refused to transition to renewables at any point in time, even though they've yeah. been offering to do that for years, they've never once 
done anything right to that end. <laughs> yeah it definitely sounds like they're just trying to clean up their public image and basically create this sort of false climate solution that is supposed to appease the public and the public's concerns that are just growing and growing about climate change and about what we're going to do about it and literally we cannot expect the same companies that are the leaders in causing climate change we can't expect them to suddenly come up with these climate solutions that generally that genuinely benefit um the public if they've literally never had our interest in mind the entire time so like what's what's changing now literally it's just another false solution for them to like you said continue business as usual continue making money and continue lining their pockets which is not a climate solution whatsoever (laughs) it's not this is a very insidious issue where they they do exactly what you said yeah and people are taken advantage of in this way Mm -hmm. it's kind of silly yeah Um, So, unfortunately, we're seeing more of the industrial sector capitalizing on the climate crisis to avoid public censure. Like you said, they're trying to clean up their image. And instead, they're kind of putting a little green leaf on whatever they feel like Mm -hmm. and like having their marketing team go hog wild. And it's working. Because they have a lot of money already. And, you know, if we... I mean, if we weren't to um, disentangle or, yeah, disentangle this whole idea, this greenwashed false climate solution, carbon capture, use and sequestration or in storage, then I think that people would fall victim to it a lot more easily. So I'm hoping that, you know, we'll be able to kind of untether people from this idea that these companies that are literally leaders in causing climate change, that they're going to have anything beneficial for our climate change movement. <laughs> I mean, at least not solutions like this. They're definitely like greenwashed issues that they're just trying to market as like good for good for our cause. But no, it's not. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) But yeah, you know, as you know, this is a rabbit hole that we could definitely stay in all day. You know, greenwashing and the companies that are um, trying to victimize people through these techniques. Um, But can we talk more about the CCNS process itself? Like, it seems to me like there's one problem here that carbon capture falsely proposes to solve and three additional ones that it creates. Um, The first problem that comes to mind is the question of of the capture itself. Can we really expect uh, to capture carbon dioxide effectively uh, or efficiently from a point source using this technology? And then the second problem that I'm kind of seeing is the transportation of that carbon. And third is the storage. So literally everything that CCNS stands for, (laughs) I see problems in every bit of the acronym. (laughs) So we have a lot of pipelines here in Louisiana already, and the geology is relatively unstable. Um, What is the plan for transportation and where are we expecting to keep this waste long-term? Okay, cool. So like a three-part question. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. Um, And so this is the part that usually people don't think about. Um, Maybe because it's underground most of the time. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not sure, but it doesn't come to mind for most people, um, they just kind of think about the technology that's up there kind of capturing the yeah. carbon. They don't think about, like, where where it's going. Where is that mass moving? Yeah. Um, so to answer your first question about whether or not we can ca- efficiently capture carbon, the answer is no. Mm. Um, not yet. Um, as, I, as we said at the beginning of this episode, the technology is not ready yet. It's not scalable. It's not economically feasible right mm. now. Um, and the technology that we do have, because people have tried, you know, is associated with a 13 to 44% energy penalty in quarter, according to the Center for International Environmental Law. 
Oh, wow. And an energy penalty is basically the extra the extra percentage of energy necessary to use CCNS equipment. So basically, it's an additional burden on a power plant that's already creating energy and CO2 emissions. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one study from a coal plant in Texas that retrofitted its facility with CCNS found that over a 20-year period, so they had this technology operating for 20 years. Mm-hmm. The CCNS technology only reduced its emissions by 10.8%, uh, which wow. is about as useful, useful as tits on a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not much. <laughs> and um, so, like, according to an IPCC special report on carbon capture, um, carbon capture technology has been tested on several small power plants, like that one in Texas that I just talked about, but never on a large scale Um carbon emitting facility and by mm. that i mean a several hundred megawatt emitting facility there's that threshold there between like small and large um, and these large-scale facilities are the ones that contribute the most heavily to climate change mm. so even if we do figure out how to do it on a small scale it's really not going to be able to tip the scales in the way that the companies with the propaganda are telling us it's like this great solution it's like right. at best it's like really 10.8 percent like i'm not impressed yeah i'm not impressed no and at worst it's detrimental Mm. um so part one of your question yes so um, yeah so the part about the capture itself capturing it efficiently so the answer is no basically the answer is no the bottom line is that the capture technology is largely untested Mm. on top of still being in development for the scale that we need to operate it at Mm. so question one the answer is no. Yeah. Okay. So with that being said, you know, the next part is transportation. So yeah. how is this captured carbon being transported? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to be transporting carbon from the facility to storage. There's a lot of ways that it can get from here mm-hmm. to there. So um, to talk about this, I'll cite a study by Net Zero in America, which estimates a build out of 60,000 miles of pipelines additional Mm. pipelines wow not ones that the ones that we have right now can't be used for this purpose so sixty thousand miles of additional pipelines by the year 2050 so pretty soon wow if ccns is to substantially help us meet our national co2 emissions goals so we have these emission goals that were set to 2035 um and we can talk about that more on a a a different episode but like with those goals that we have, we would need this much pipeline to accomplish that. That's wow. a lot of pipeline. That is 60,000 miles is quite a bit. <laughs> right? That's a lot of pipeline yeah. miles. And like three guesses where all that's going to be, mostly in Louisiana. Yeah, of course. Um, so this action alone has been flagged by the Bureau of Ocean and Energy Management, mm. as well as the Department of Energy. So two governmental sectors yeah. that are supposed to have our best interests. Um, so it's been flagged by both of these um, as unlikely to benefit a community that overlines the pipelines. Wow. So major red flag there right that's for sure yeah i feel like it's kind of difficult to justify a build out of that much infrastructure sixty thousand miles for a small and uncertain amount of co2 reduction like i feel like especially with the fact that boehm bo the bureau of ocean and energy management as well as the department of energy have already said that it's unlikely to benefit a community and then also you have to have that much of a build out like i don't feel like for what we're seeing as far as like 
like what you said on the capture itself, I don't feel like that's enough to justify doing that. Again, we're not impressed. No, not at all. Like just to put that into like practical terms, that's 28.3 Tour de France's of pipelines. So that's quite a bit. (laughs) It's no small amount. And that's 20.7 times the coast-to-coast distance of the continental U.S. or 49 million brown pelicans wing to wing whatever metric you want to use it's it's a very large amount That's a lot of pipelines. It's a lot of pelicans. That's like way more pelicans than I think we have. That's like every pelican in the world wing to wing. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, so you can have a, a way to visualize that. <laughs> um, plus, so, so with that alone, plus the integrity of these pipelines is also very suspect, mm. as I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah. The proposed, I'm not an engineer, but the proposed materials are insufficient for the safe transfer of compressed CO2, oh. which is highly corrosive super fun Mm. um and may result in pipeline explosions Um, yeah right um although with the scale of the build out proposed sixty thousand miles yeah i would say it's more of a matter of when rather than if in terms of those explosions like we know what's gonna happen yeah right i mean it already happens all the time with the existing pipelines that are there so we should expect that it will happen but it's going to be compressed CO2, yeah. which is highly corrosive. Like, yeah. And um, it's dangerous to people in, in with, like, within the direct area. That, yeah, that's really scary. I mean, I, I mean, first of all, 60,000 miles of that, and then it's really dangerous in your home or community might be right over those pipelines. That's um, a pretty scary thing to be living on top of. Right. I would say that the language used by Boehm and the DOE of unlikely to benefit a community mm-hmm. is the understatement of the year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just the fact that such um, an organization would say, would say basically this is not good um even using those terms like i would say that that's a pretty significant statement to make right pretty mild terms <laughs> yeah but we know what's actually gonna happen exactly yeah so and then on top of that many indigenous groups are concerned because the pipelines are going to be built over their land um so that just sounds like a perfect storm you know oil companies receive this public funding for ccns projects that are unreliable inefficient expensive and threatened disasters like the explosions we just mentioned right and so before we like totally pop off about this i'm gonna bring it back um reel us back in um to answer your third question about storage yes so we're once again addressing those major concerns those three problems that ccns creates can we capture it efficiently no Mm. can we transport it safely no (laughs) what about storage yeah um so the proposed projects want to store compressed co2 underground Mm. you know out of sight out of mind yeah um and this co2 uh has to be stored as a supercritical fluid which is greater than 30.1 degrees celsius and greater than 72.9 atmospheres which is like a dense liquid viscous like a gas and has less storage volume so we can see why it needs to be stored like that right um but for a super 
If it is to remain as a supercritical fluid, it has to be stored at depths more than 800 meters. So 800 meters be- below the surface yeah. of the earth. And I mean, obviously, like it's a very like it's a it has very strict conditions for it. And um, yeah, so it has extremely strict standards for contained storage. Uh, so can you maybe tell us a little bit about the implications and the safety issues of that underground storage? Like, you know, that sounds like I said, it sounds like very strict standards to have for it so what if those standards aren't met or you know what if we don't have the ability to meet those standards for this storage right as happens in the regular oil and gas infrastructure that we have around here like a lot of it does not meet standards already and (laughs) it's just waiting for accidents (laughs) to happen so we we can only assume it's going to be in the same vein of like safety causing safety issues um so yeah it is really um there are really strict standards, and that's an, an issue that CCNS projects are going to have to contend with. How and where do we store the CO2 so yeah. that it remains in this supercritical state? Right. Then there's also potential for groundwater contamination if these mm. storage units leak into aquifers, um, which is really bad. That's very scary. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the last thing we need. That's the last thing we need because... It sounds like not a big deal. Well, I don't know who would think that. It sounds like not a big deal. But there's pretty much no fixing it once that happens. Right. Um, so once you leak into an aquifer, it's like, that's game over. Yeah. You know, you hear about projects like in, I don't know if this was a project, but like those groundwater contamination issues that happen in like Flint, Michigan or in mm, Detroit, mm-hmm. which I know that you had a big hand in, yeah. um, Corey, um, rehousing people that didn't have good drinking water like would you say that is an easy problem to solve (laughs) once you have these leakages into aquifers no and that's the thing is that like whenever a source is contaminated like that you really there's no going back you know like even just i mean even just like the mixing of different waters together has like basically detrimental impacts to the the living organisms that are relying on that certain type of water. So the fact that water is so um, like subject to that, like basically anything that it comes in contact with groundwater coming in contact with that, uh, with that CO2 leakage, it's not, it's not something that you can just easily reverse or reverse whatsoever. I mean, maybe there will one day be technology that says that it can, but definitely that's Not before like before 2050 <laughs> and that's a pie in the sky like idea that that could even happen i mean fresh like groundwater is something that you really shouldn't be messing with and that's basically local communities were, will lose their water source at that point and increase and basically also as well like not to mention the seismic activity like there will be an increase in earthquakes that are expected too and uh yeah i'm just basically not convinced that this is a good idea on a global scale but even on a local scale. Yeah, we're, we're not impressed. No. Like, water, <laughs> like, drinking water is sacred. Like, oh, yeah. Not to be not scientific, but, like, it's it's a sacred resource. If yeah. It's, if it's 800 meters below ground, like, how are y'all going to fix that? Right. You're not. You're yeah. just going to let it happen, and people are going to get poisoned. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's a sacred resource that needs to be protected. Yeah, and I don't think that we should risk, even risk, contamination of that, of something, like you said, so sacred, but so essential to living to sustaining your life like i don't think we should mess with that just for a few extra dollars for some people that don't have our best interests in mind exactly we can't gamble (laughs) with something like that right 
Yeah. So in Louisiana, one of these projects is proposed by the company called Air Products to be placed under Lake Morapa, which is a national heritage site with local ecological value. And it also contributes significantly to Louisiana tourism. So getting into some like Louisiana specific projects proposed, this is a big CCNS project um, that is on the docket yeah and you mentioned tourism louisiana tourism so fun fact louisiana tourism is actually a more lucrative industry than the fossil fuel industry so threatening that tourism ecology aside is not so great for the louisiana economy so glad you came in with that yeah um <laughs> and it's bought and paid for that ccns project that's going to be put under lake morapa it's bought and paid for by a company that released 25 corporate lobbyists this past summer so june 2023 there was mm. a legislative session where a lot of these ccns issues were brought up and were on the ballot and you know we actually had the congressional people speaking mm -hmm. on these issues and they released 25 corporate lobbyists to get the appropriate approvals from the government to basically shove this project down the throats of Louisianians. Yeah. Bought and, and paid for. And that's the thing is that I think that it's very telling um, that they sent 25 corporate lobbyists. First of all, lobbyists are not cheap, at least the good ones. Right. <laughs> They're not cheap at all. And so the fact that they sent 25 um, just for this one particular issue, I think that firstly shows you um, that, well... Firstly, it shows you that there's a lot of money expected to be made in this because they wouldn't invest money if they didn't see any returns on those investments. Absolutely. Like, that's just how corporations work. Um, and then secondly, as well, the fact that they are sending so many people out for this lobbying effort shows you that there is a pushback against it and that there probably are community members, which we do know of, that are not so keen on this idea and do not expect to do not expect basically anything good to come from these types of CCNS projects. And so you and I joined actually the Lobby Day um, organized by uh, the Center for International Environmental Law, um, SEAL, which is what Jade is a part of again. Um, we joined that actually back in June and they actually <laughs> moved the day of the hearing for a lot of these projects. They moved it once they caught wind that local activists were coming to testify. So like I said, there's community pushback and whenever they found out about this community, Community pushback along with hiring 25 corporate lobbyists to like you said shove ccns down people's throats and make it seem like it was more viable than it really was um on top of that they moved the day of the hearing uh for a lot of these pro for a lot of these projects so we were supposed to be there to testify against ccns and because they moved it basically undercut our response back to it basically undercut our ability to lobby against it and I feel like that's a pretty gross abuse of the democratic process. Like democracy literally hinges on public participation and public input. Exactly. People yeah. don't have time to just show up day after day yeah. after day. Right. People prepared a lot for this. I was mm -hmm. really mad when they when they said that. Yeah, yeah like it's not I, democracy. I literally crazy. I mean, even just me myself, I had to um I'm still in classes right now and I had to miss a class and speak with my professor. Thankfully my professor was like, You go get them, you know, but yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you know, not everybody's uh, employers, um, not everybody's childcare that they have to invest. You know, like basically, if they had to take a day off, you know, that's loss of income. If they had to, if they have children and maybe had to make sure that they had childcare to be able to attend this event, they had to do that, and maybe couldn't, maybe they won't be able to do that so easily in the future and that's the thing is that that's an abuse of the democratic process for them to completely change the day and make it even more difficult for us to have such a big showing out if they moved it moved it to a day that we we weren't prepared for basically right yeah and they waited for us to show up mm-hmm. to announce that they were going to change it so it's not like we can be like oh let's reschedule it was like everybody right. showed up everybody brought their yeah. a game everybody was ready to go and yeah. ch- like charged up and like learned all the facts and we were we were ready to charge yeah and they were like just kind of swished their wands and they were like no public participation suddenly yeah, yeah. only in louisiana right right <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm sure in plenty of other places there's plenty of corrupt governments all oh, over the world sure. that i'm sure would. yeah yeah and that's yeah that was really frustrating honestly because like you said everybody had shown up everybody was really excited about it everybody was really um energized to go and speak out against it and you know um we had learned so much about it that day too and then we were just basically like like we were talking about just our entire um efforts were completely undercut at that point and yeah. and i just just like quick before so. we move on i want to say that like we followed up on like how those different bills that were on the table that were going to be discussed those ones that people were ready to testify mm-hmm. either for or against um there were a lot of losses mm-hmm. in the june um legislative session because and i think a lot of it you know there are plenty of reasons for it like we didn't expect that there were going to be wins around every turn but there are very few of them yeah it was big losses and i think a lot of it went back to that that abuse of the democratic process by undercutting public participation and commentary i yeah. think a lot went back to that because it i mean i didn't i didn't show up after that i yeah. didn't I didn't have the time (laughs) and nobody really knew when it was going to be again and then also on top of that it was the fact that we had to completely like you know reorganize after that too like it's a lot to put into an an organizational effort like to get people to come out and Mm -hmm. to organize a sort of rally around it like that is that takes a lot of energy and a lot of time and resources and basically they made yeah they they scattered us all up they broke us all up and made it almost like impossible to reconvene and work against them in the same capacity that we had that first day and so yeah really gross really frustrating and um really indicative of the effort and money that these corporations are willing to put behind ccns and ccus uh projects and basically the links that they're willing to go to to make sure that they can have full reign over these projects and not have to have any sort of public pushback whatsoever so really frustrating um but yeah uh so that kind of brings us back to our last topic that we're going to be discussing today so if ccns has so many cons uh why is there so much funding pushing it along right because i like as we mentioned before, um, all of the public, a lot of these public funding opportunities, these are coming out of your tax dollars, mm-hmm. are going to these oil companies, which seems wrong <laughs> in the face of climate change. Right. Um, so without getting into the weeds too much, because this does get very boring very quickly, um, there is this thing called the 45Q tax credit, mm. which was provisioned for under the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, and to be clear, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, was actually a big win for climate advocates, but some, some of it... Uh, lost some of its progressive edge during the compromises while it was moving through Congress. And one of those compromises was increasing the amount budgeted for CCNS. 
Yes. Um, yeah, it lost a lot of its. Uh, lost a lot. That's a good way. Like it lost a lot of its edge. Mm-hmm. So in those compromises, the 45Q tax credit was born, more or less, allowing companies to get funding and tax breaks for outfitting their existing power plants with this technology, mm. which does not exist. <laughs> and the majority of these companies who are um, recipients for this funding and tax breaks are fossil fuel companies. Yeah, and that's probably the last thing that we need. That's literally one of the biggest reasons why Louisiana has been victim to so many of these fossil fuel industries is because they are literally getting all these tax cuts. And I think that the ones that are literally contributing to climate change in the heaviest fashion possible, I think they should be the last ones to receive uh, tax cuts. And that's the the billionaires who have been causing the climate crisis to begin with right yeah it reads as really unfair right um and they're using these tax credits as a shroud so that they can stay in business because they've pretty much unanimously have decided not to transition to renewable energies Mm. um that decision was made a long time ago without getting too far into the weeds in history like they made that decision very clear they're not going to do anything having to do with renewables they're doubling down Um, and that's what's causing this huge demand in ccns Mm. and to make um matters worse the louisiana climate action plan actually like provisions for a lot of these Ah. ccns plants so not only are they receiving funding from a federal position but louisiana has kind of put it into their plan that we're going to do this. And that's because we have a lot of industrial facilities in yeah. this area. And also because they're in the policymakers are in the pockets of oil and gas companies. Yeah. And that's what it sounds like is that once again, oil and gas is strong arming and basically undercutting our climate efforts, our climate change efforts. Right. Um, and so in Louisiana specifically, um, they rely heavily on CCNS to generate what they're calling now blue hydrogen. Mm. So another one of those sort of tricky terms that you can kind of um, mix. It sounds blue hydrogen. That sounds fun. It sound, that sounds like electric yeah. and kind of fabulous. Futuristic. Futuristic <laughs> and fun. Like, yeah, that ap- appeals to people. But like, what is blue hydrogen? Right. Really? So there are a lot of these um, provisions for these false solutions. Yeah, and to be clear, blue hydrogen is hydrogen fuel created as a substitute for regular fossil fuels, but they burn fossil fuels to make it and use CCS to capture just a fraction of that emitted CO2 in the process. So doesn't really sound like a climate solution. What a mess. Right. Yeah, you're basically <laughs> doing what you have. You're just adding another step to the process. Exactly. Of creating hydrogen um, pretty much as a shroud yeah. to evade public censure. Yes, so I've got one last question before we close out. Um, Is CCNS technology the only way we can capture carbon from the atmosphere? So we kind of mentioned in the beginning that um, this was a more technological way of quote unquote capturing. And I say I say the quotes because obviously we hear that that's not really viable, a viable way of capturing it. So what are some other ways, maybe natural ways? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so carbon capture can also refer, so carbon capture technologies are an array of human built technologies mm-hmm. or what attempted human right. technologies. I think like first airplane before the Wright brothers, like mm. that's where we're at pretty wow. much right now. <laughs> but carbon capture in generally, um, in general refers to an ecosystem based carbon capture, which is natural and should be encouraged. Um, you might be wondering how this happens. We can spin our wheels by trying to invent technology from scratch, or we can lean on plants, which do this naturally. Right. Right. Because plants capture carbon dioxide from the atmosphere 
that's what basically they breathe. We breathe oxygen. They breathe CO2. It's this yeah. beautiful back and forth. <laughs> so they take that carbon dioxide as a gas and they store it in their tissues as like carbohydrates and everything. The things that actually make up that plant is right. stored physically in the tissues. So plants such as mangroves, seagrasses, and marsh grasses are particularly good at this. They are really efficient at taking CO2 out of the atmosphere and building it into their tissues and or um, kind of holding the ground in place mm. to prevent erosion and mm-hmm. building um, kind of precipitating car- carbon in that way. Yeah. Um, so we refer to carbon sequestration done by these plants, these mangroves, seagrasses, and marsh grasses in particular, as blue carbon. So unlike blue hydrogen, right. something very different, <laughs> blue carbon is done by plants it's done by these incredible plants and there are no documented disastrous impacts associating with cult or associated with cultivating these environments of like protecting your mangroves protecting your seed grasses there's no explosions that are going to happen if you protect those areas right you or prevent the destruction of those ecosystems so if you kind of just like shift your thought about like carbon capture we can do all this technology or we can really um focus on conserving these ecosystems that are doing this in a natural way where there's absolutely no risk there's only benefits yeah and i think like if there's anything that we're learning as the climate change movement progresses is that we're not going to be able to geoengineer our way into what mother nature has been doing for so long like literally we can't we can't just build a big industry build out a big facility to do exactly the things that nature can do on its own right like humans are pretty smart but we're not that smart yeah it's not not a it's not a solution (laughs) no absolutely not (laughs) okay well um i think that wraps up our episode on carbon capture and sequestration so we're going to end out this episode with some Calls to action. <laughs> so CCNS technology is on the move in Louisiana. And as always, you can email us with questions at climatepelicans at gmail.com. Plus follow our, so- our social media at climatepelicans on Instagram and at divestlsu on Twitter. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.